I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3, which is the passage that Dan read for us earlier in our service. If you'd like to use one of the church Bibles in front of you, you'll find our reading on page 223, Ruth chapter 3. And since Dan did such a terrific job in reading for us, I won't read the entire chapter, uh, but we'll read verses 6 to 13 together just to keep things fresh in our minds as we dive in. So Ruth chapter 3, verses 6 to 13. So she, that's Ruth, went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we cry out that our hearts and our flesh may fail, but you never will. You never have, and you never will. And so we pray that as we open our Bibles to Ruth chapter 3, and as you, by your Holy Spirit, come and help us to understand what you've said and how it applies to our lives, we pray that you would deliver us from all the toil and burden of our own works and to trust simply and solely in the God who never fails. Lord, we need you to help us in this way, and so we pray that you would do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in 2013, Larry King was interviewing the actor Rob Lowe. And the interview quickly turned to a subject that I think everybody who has ever struggled with addiction is tired of talking about, and everybody who ever hasn't struggled with addiction is almost never-endingly asking. And the question was, why? See, Rob Lowe had struggled with drugs and alcohol in his past and was an addict. And Larry King asked a question that is often asked of addicts, why? After all of the achievements, after all of the toil, after all of the labor, after all of the success, why? Why would you turn to drugs? King continued and he said, no one that I've ever asked that question has been able to answer. Lowe answered brilliantly. And he answered brilliantly not only because it got down to the depths of his heart, but because it signifies something that's true of each and every man and woman in this room this morning. Well, so I can answer that question easily. He said, for me, and people like me, I was born with a feeling of emptiness. 
Now, I want to submit to you this morning that you don't have to be an addict to understand what it feels like to be empty. Each and every one of us at some point in our life has been restless and empty. There's a feeling that we're missing out on something that we need. That we're incomplete. Emptiness. Sometimes it's just when we're alone in our beds at night. Sometimes it's when we're in a group of people that we think are better than we are. But we feel empty deep down. Restless and empty. Now as we turn to Ruth chapter 3, we're coming along in a story that has left us hanging. We haven't realized that the story's left us hanging because we've been so taken by Boaz in chapter 2. But in, early on in chapter 1, there are two needs, one represented by Ruth and the other by Naomi, that get at the heart of everything that Rob Lowe is saying. So if you look back at chapter 1, you'll realize that the needs that are represented by these two women are the needs of having their restlessness and their emptiness remedied. You remember that when Ruth and Orpah approach Naomi and say, we will go back with you to Bethlehem, that Naomi's response to her daughters-in-law is, go back. Don't follow me. Go back to Moab. What can I do for you? Go home. The Lord bless you. Maybe, just maybe, you'll be able to find rest in the home of your husband. Naomi, for her part, when she gets back to Bethlehem and declares, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for I am bitter, her testimony is that the Lord has sent me back empty. Restless and empty. But the good news for Ruth and for Naomi and for every person who has eyes to see is that God has provided a Redeemer to save us from our restlessness and our emptiness. God has done that. And in the story before us, this true story, the, the Redeemer that God provides is the Redeemer represented by Boaz. If you look at the text in front of you, you'll notice that each paragraph of the ESV highlights the actions of one of the main characters of our story. So that in verses 1 to 5, we have Naomi's plan. In verses 6 to 13, we have Ruth's proposal. And then 14 to 18, we have Boaz's provision. But all of these different strands and different characters and how they intersect with one another are meant to tell us this morning that there is a Redeemer for you and for me. I want us to look first at Naomi's plan in verses 1 through 5. Verse 1 says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, that's Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now, it doesn't take us long in chapter 3 to realize that something's happened to Naomi. Something amazing has happened to Naomi. Back in chapter 1, Naomi was bitter and self-absorbed and self-centered. She couldn't see beyond her own little sphere of life. 
And so as she speaks to Ruth in chapter 1, she says, go and find a husband for yourself. May the Lord bless you. Maybe you'll find rest. But here, the whole tenor of her conversation has changed. It's no longer, Ruth, go find rest for yourself. It's my daughter. Should I not seek rest for you? Isn't it my responsibility to provide rest for you? Now, in this context, rest means the peace and the security and the freedom that will be Ruth's in the home of a loving husband. But I want to think about Naomi just for a moment. What causes this kind of transformation? A couple of weeks ago, people were talking about the Boston Marathon, which made me so happy. Who ever talks about the Boston Marathon? Well, the woman who won the Boston Marathon this year is a girl by the name of Desiree Linden. Now, Desiree, at the beginning of the race, realized that she didn't, like, she didn't feel like she could win. She didn't have her legs underneath her. She wanted to just run the race and not really compete. And so in the middle of the race, she stops with Shalane Flanagan and tells her, Shalane, this race is about you. If you need me to block the wind, if you need me to set the pace, whatever it takes, I'm here for you. Well, at the end of the race, don't you know, the person who was running through the tape was Desiree Linden. But all of the talk revolving around the marathon was how wonderful it was that here in the midst of a self-centered competition, this woman would sacrifice her own good for the well-being of another. And the reason that we're attracted to those kinds of stories is that deep down we start to question, how can I become like Desiree? How can I be others-focused like that? That's super commendable. I'd love to be like that. And the answer that Ruth gives us in the life of Naomi is that the only way to lastingly and truthfully be about the good of others is to receive grace ourselves. Naomi sees beyond the chance encounter with Boaz to the hand of God who saves. And suddenly her eyes are opened and Ruth is her concern. Grace. And so she calls Ruth to her and she says, my daughter, you need rest. Now again in this context, rest means the security and the peace that Ruth will find in the home of a husband. Friends, the testimony of Scripture from the Old Testament to the New clues us into the fact that there's more to rest than that. Did you know that the reason that God created everything, the purpose that Scripture gives us itself, in Genesis 2, 1-3, is that you and I would enter into God's rest. Rest. On the seventh day, God rested. But you and I forfeit that. We forfeit that by our sin. And so now the goal, the purpose of salvation, Hebrews chapter 4, is that believers, men and women, would enter the rest of Jesus. But the thing about rest is that resting is incredibly difficult work. Because you and I all know what it, what it feels like, what it really means day by day to scratch and claw and fight, to try and earn the favor of others and to draw attention to ourselves. We refuse to rest. 
Some of us are so obsessed and intoxicated by the praise that we get at work for our achievements that we'll never turn our phones off. We'll never lie down on the couch. We refuse rest. Some of us are so obsessed with the name that we have in our communities or our schools that we find it nearly impossible to just relax. We need rest. And all of our toil and all of our burdens and all of our striving only serve to underscore that reality. We're striving for something that we can't achieve. Naomi says to Ruth, you need rest. Ruth is an industrious girl. She's a hardworking girl. She could have made it on her own. But that life would have absolutely sentenced her to slavish and never-ending, wearisome toil and no rest. See, friends, if you and I are ever going to experience the rest that God wants for us today, it will have to be outside of ourselves. And so what's Naomi's plan? Well, Naomi comes up with maybe the most bizarre proposal plan I have ever read in my entire life. It's ambiguous at best, somewhat shady at worst. She says, okay, Ruth, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to get dressed, put on your cloak. I want you to put on some perfume. I want you to go to the threshing floor where Boaz is working. I want you to wait till he's had his fill of food and drink. I want you to spot where he lies down. When he falls asleep, I want you to uncover his feet and just lay there and wait for instruction. The risk that's involved in this is tremendous. Because you won't know this, but the threshing floor in ancient Israel is the ancient Near Eastern equivalent to the red light district. This is where the prostitutes go. They try to catch men unaware after a hard day's work once they've had some wine. Easy to get a client then. So what if, just what if, Boaz looks at Ruth and thinks she's a prostitute? What if he rejects her on the strength of his moral fortitude? Mission failed. What if, even worse, he thinks Ruth is a prostitute and he gives in? Well, that's a disaster. But what if the sovereign hand of God that has been demonstrating himself all through the story and orchestrating all the events of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi's lives, what if in that moment of tension, the climactic point of the story, what if he moves in Boaz's heart to say, this girl wants to marry you? Faith always involves risk. Casting ourselves entirely on the goodness and the mercy of a sovereign God. That's Naomi's plan. And this leads immediately to Ruth's proposal. Verse 6, Ruth does just what she's told. We're told that she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. So she waits till Boaz had some food and some drink. The Christian Standard Bible says he was in good spirits. Interpret that how you would like. But she waits till the most opportune time to spot where Boaz is going to lie down. She uncovers his feet, and she waits. And as the heat wears down in that ancient Near Eastern uh, mountain range, and the cold air begins to blow through Boaz's toes, he wakes up. And I love what the passage says 
behold, there was a woman at his feet. Fancy that. All the boys in the youth group here are praying for a Boaz kind of experience. How easy would that be? You wake up, behold, there's a woman at your feet. Wonderful. He wakes up, he sees a woman at his feet, and he says, who are you? Logical question. Now, mind you, Ruth is supposed to do nothing but wait for instruction. She's supposed to listen to what Boaz has to say to her. Mission aborted. If you've ever proposed to someone, you know that you might have a plan, but it never really goes according to plan. You can figure out where you're going to do it, what you're going to say, what kind of flowers you're going to have. It never goes according to plan. And this one is no different. Because instead of waiting for instructions, Ruth absolutely erupts in this amazing and preposterous proposal. I am Ruth, she says, verse 9. Your servant, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth, in the moment of Boaz's awakening, says, marry me, marry me now, because you're a redeemer. Ruth knows two things. Ruth knows she needs rest. And she needs it desperately. And she knows, secondly, that if she's ever going to find rest, the only place she's going to ever find it is in a Redeemer. And so Jesus comes onto the scene. And he says in this brilliant and beautiful passage in Matthew chapter 12... Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. I know two things. I need rest, and I need it badly. And the only place I will ever find rest is in Jesus, the Redeemer. This is the gospel that Boaz would show us figuratively, looking forward at the beauty and the glory of Jesus who requires absolutely nothing from any of you. But come. Come to me. You're living your entire life trying to meet other people's standards. You're killing yourself trying to meet God's standards. You can't. Come. Come now. There is no prerequisite. There is no class. There is no fitness that you need to make for yourself. You just come. And you cry out. Lord Jesus Christ, I need rest and you are a redeemer. Save me. How beautiful is this gospel? Come, everyone. Even if you've made a hash of your life by scratching and clawing and fighting and trying to develop an identity for yourself apart from me, don't mind that, just come. Be bold. Here's Ruth. Think with me about this for a moment, friends. Here's Ruth. Here is a woman proposing to a man. Here is a female servant 
proposing to a wealthy Israelite landowner. Here's a Moabite proposing to a Jew. How absolutely ridiculous does that sound? Be bold. You broken, tattered, workaholic sinner. You pagan Gentile. Come. How glorious. Our Redeemer. Come. Boaz obviously has to be completely taken back by this. I wake up because my feet are cold, and now I'm being asked to marry Ruth. What's he going to say? This is the point of no return. Well, he looks at Ruth. May you be blessed of the Lord, he says, verse 10. My daughter, you have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. He says, you could have had anybody in Israel, and you chose good old Boaz. He says, there's a little hiccup here. I want you to know that there's a redeemer closer to me, but here's the deal. If he won't do it, I will do it. Your request is granted. I am willing, he says, to give you myself. And in me you will find rest. What's brilliant about Boaz, the redeemer in Ruth chapter 3, is that he doesn't seem to ever want to stop giving grace. And the third and the final movement of our story is just that, Boaz's provision for this family. It's weird to us. So, I mean, we, you can admit that sometimes when you read the Bible and you don't, you're not familiar with the culture and the customs. It's weird what happens in the morning. They wake up before anyone can notice that Ruth has been there. Boaz understands that people assume, as they do, sometimes because of our own sin, other times because of their own self-righteousness, but people assume the worst of us very often. He says, Ruth, we better get you home before anybody sees that you were here because once the rumor mill starts turning, the propriety of what we're doing is going to be completely questioned. So go home, but first bring me your cloak. And he does something very bizarre. Right on the heels of this marriage proposal, he begins to pour barley into Ruth's cloak. And the reason that we're not struck by that is that we don't really convert the measurements in our head very well. He pours in 80 pounds of barley for his new bride to put over her shoulder and lug all the way back home. 80 pounds. You go, how does that work out? Will you marry me? Yes. Here's some barley. How does that fit? It's really a mystery. Some people suggest that perhaps he's just trying to give Ruth a good alibi for being at the red light district of ancient Israel. So he's caught in the morning, she can say, uh, hi sir, I was here for the barley. Yes, the barley, that's why I came. But it's not until she gets home that we find out what Boaz is doing. And it's beautiful. Think with me for a moment. 
Naomi comes home, chapter 1, and all she can say to the people in her town is, I went away full and God brought me back empty. I went away full and God brought me back empty. They're gone to the, the water cooler in Israel. What's up with Naomi? Well, she went away full and she came back empty. Everybody knows that. Boaz chapter 2 says to Ruth, you know, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the moment you left your land and your gods and returned here has been told to me. Is there even a chance that Boaz isn't aware that I went away full and I came back empty is sort of Naomi's mantra? When Ruth returns to Naomi, Naomi says, why do you have all that grain? What's going on? How'd you fare? Look at what Ruth says to her mother-in-law. She told her all that the man had done for her, verse 17, saying, these six measures of barley, this 80 pounds of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back, here it is, empty. How about that? You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. It's as if to say to Naomi, you will be empty no more. When Naomi returned, her attitude towards the Lord was, you never give me anything. This is as old as the Garden of Eden, as Eve looks at all that God had given her. But then she looks at the one tree she's forbidden to eat from, and she says, God, you never give me anything. I'll take it for myself. I'm empty. What do I have to show for from you? And here the Lord through Boaz is saying, Naomi, when you are in my hands of grace, your hands are never, ever empty. And Boaz says to Naomi, if I am willing to give you myself, how will I not also with myself give you 80 pounds of barley? Or to put it in Paul's terms, in Romans chapter 8, he who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is a down payment. This is a surety that I will redeem. That God always gives his children everything he thinks that they need. Not always what we want, but everything that God thinks, what God knows that we need, he gives us in Christ. I was talking to a friend recently, and his, his son, we're talking about potential of buying a car, and I felt it really necessary to inject myself into the conversation and to tell this young man how thankful he should be to have a father who'd buy him a car, because, you know, back in my day, dads didn't buy kids cars like that. But can you imagine a father who buys his son a car, and then says, but by the way, you won't be parking that in my driveway. How ridiculous. If I'm willing to give you myself, the main thing, the thing that you so desperately need, how will I not also give you the trivial bits along with myself? This is the grace of our Redeemer. It never ends. Some of us have been living our entire lives working, 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 running, never stopping, never resting. And at the end of it, we're at the end of our rope and we say, I'm empty, I've got nothing. And nothing to show for it. 
My soul is still thirsty. I've accomplished next to nothing. And nobody knows it but ourselves. But this is what Jesus does. He does exactly what Boaz does. I want you to look down. I want you to look at the very last verse of this chapter. Naomi begins to describe to Ruth what's going to happen next. And she says something that is absolutely marvelous. So you know, I know one thing about this redeemer, Boaz. I know this. He will not rest until you rest. Look up at me. Jesus would not rest, but came and fully obeyed the law of God, worked on our behalf so that we could rest. Boaz takes out of the fullness of his storehouse and he lavishes upon Ruth and Naomi. And does not Paul say in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus emptied himself? He gave it all so that you and I might know the fullness of blessing in Christ. How do we not sing, I will glory in my Redeemer? Are you restless? Feel a bit empty? I know you do. Come. Look, do not delay. Do not make an excuse. Do not think that you're not fit. You're not, that's the whole point. Come today. The writer to the Hebrews says, as long as the promise to enter his rest still stands, and it does, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts, friends. Come. Lay all of your pitiful attempts at earning the favor of God, all of the emptiness at the foot of the cross, and receive freely from the Redeemer. And he will give you rest. Father, we thank you for your word and how clearly and vividly it points us to the Lord Jesus Christ, the true and greater Boaz, a redeemer who willingly does all for our salvation so that we can find our rest in him who graciously calls out down through the corridors of time, come, come to me and I will give you rest. We thank you for a Savior who is God in the flesh, who emptied himself by becoming a servant so that we might know the fullness of your grace. We thank you that you lavish your grace upon us, that you give us grace upon grace. Not only do you save us and free us from our sins, adopt us into your family, give us redemption and new hope eternally, but you also, along with Christ, give us all of the littler bits that we desire. Because you know what we need. You know what's necessary. 
You know what will make us more like Christ and you freely grant. So Lord, we pray that each and every one of us this morning would glory in our Redeemer, a worthy man from Bethlehem by the name of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.